I didn't know a soul, didn't know any of these people. Um, and at that time, you know, you didn't have to apply to be an FWB. You just have to be weird enough to to buy buy this FWB coin and, you know, uh, a semi-meaningful amount of it. And then all of a sudden I'm in this Discord with very interesting people. You're listening to Lights, Camera, Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and Web3. I'm your host, Stephen Ladden, and this week our guest is Chad Huggins. Chad is the Senior Director of Ecosystem Marketing for Polygon Studios and has a really interesting path. He initially was pursuing acting as a career, didn't make it as an actor, and ended up pursuing marketing. His marketing pursuits led him to Discord, where he ends up joining the Friends with Benefits DAO, and FWB ends up leading him to Polygon Studios. So really unique path, really interesting path, and now he's actually working with the top artists and brands in the Web3 space. So the initial pursuit of acting, pursuit of the arts, has now led him to uh, be in that in some capacity. It's it's kind of a full circle, and uh, he details that and more in this week's episode. So let's dive in. Chad, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. And I just, I we were just talking before this. I said this is. I'm afraid at the end of this, you'll be like, this is all unusable. You made a great mistake. Uh, you're such a weird person. I don't know. <laughs> how, I don't know how you got hired at a, a top Web three company, but I'm ready to go there with you, Stephen. We're, we're going to go on this journey, and uh, I think for anyone who's listening, the uh, Chad's um, humbly setting the bar low. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. Low expectations <laughs> is the key key to right. success in life. Right. Exactly. So so anything that we say is there, the fact that we've already made it into uh, you could say the first couple minutes is is a win. That's right. Good. I'm glad. All right. Well, great place to start. Um, so you know we we were touching or talking uh, prior to, to to recording, and you know you'd mentioned uh, perhaps a little known fact that back in the day you had some acting aspirations. Like, how did that come to be? Where did that journey start? What what happened with it? Man, I'm still trying to figure it out. To be honest with you, I don't I don't know if I'll ever uh, wrap my mind around it. But um, yeah, no, I was like, ah, oh, this is. I feel like at this stage in my career, it's it's like, does he know this? Is this why he reached out to me? But uh, yeah, I went. So I have a degree in theater, a okay. bachelor of fine arts in theater, and uh, did the acting thing in Los Angeles, which we can go into as much as you want. But you know the stereotypical starving artist uh you know working for tips at night trying to be an actor and um somehow if you you know this is where i was like talking about a career arc or trajectory uh somehow now i i work at polygon in blockchain in in marketing but yep that's i got i got a pass there man i got a sorted past well <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a little on the edge of my seat to see what what stones we Uncover. We, 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 we turn over. Well, maybe just to start at the uh, pre-theater degree stone, where as a kid, did you always have a fascination with the arts? Were you into theater growing up? Where did that interest sort of, where, where was it cultivated? Uh, no, it's a good question. And, and yeah, this is, I mean, I'm in my 30s now and I'm still trying to make sense of, uh, of what my life has been. But no, I was... <laughs> So I was raised in uh, the Austin, Texas area, a very normal, um, you know, middle-class upbringing. I was sort of run-of-the-mill sports kid, just that's when I was like really young, like that's all I did is play organized sports and, um, you know, all the way through to high school and stuff like that. And so, But somewhere along the line, yeah, I got, you know, I started doing plays or whatever at school. Um, and it was very, I mean, it's very much, a, it's a, it was a weird dichotomy of, of you know, I remember when I, I told my, I was on the varsity basketball team and telling my coach, I was like, oh, I got to be late a couple of times because I'm, I'm in a play. And he was <laughs> like, what are you talking about? So, yeah, I never really, man, that's the thing about, career or anything like that i never 
I mean, to this day, I never had a grand plan. Uh, you know, I I feel now as I get older, I feel for my parents who back then were probably like, "What is going on? What is our <laughs> what is our youngest son gonna do with his life?" But I ne- I never knew and sort of was pursuing whatever interested me, I guess. Which which is a really, if you think back, I mean, that's a beautiful place to be, where you are pursuing your interests, and then from that place, you know your your journey hopefully goes continually in a place where you're still pursuing interests and 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 enjoying that yeah. journey and, and and I think if you're starting from that place already you you kind of have a a deeper awareness uh, of yourself than say other people who are going through the motions of well I need to do xyz to live a certain life you're sure. you're saying like hey I'm interested in this. I'm going to pursue it. I don't know where it's going to go, but that's also part of the journey. Yeah. I mean, look, looking back, I, I now have a lot more self-awareness than obviously I did as a freaking 17 year old trying to decide where to go to college and, you know, hypothetically what I want to do with my life, which I still think is pretty absurd that a, somebody that young would even be tasked with that sort of monumental decision. But uh no I, I mean i'm so i'm extremely fortunate on on one hand that like my parents a allowed me to even entertain that sort of thing like a cuz you know like i was a good student i was uh, all, all that sort of stuff and i uh, i had no idea what i where i wanted to go to college what i wanted to do in college i applied to a bunch of places got into all of them and only one of them was uh for a theater degree. And like, literally I was like, I don't know, I'm gonna, I had two interests this, and this is how non-career oriented I one was. One was to, to get a degree in theater. And the other one was to go get this degree that, that basically would have put me on a trajectory to be like a, a park ranger or something like that. <laughs> so it was like, uh, you know, the outdoors or, um, uh, this weird theater thing. So as far as why I have no idea why I I chose one I I just sort of did and it didn't make any logical sense none of my friends were so I went to Southern Methodist University SMU in in Dallas and um you know because they had a a, a good theater department and you had to audition to get in and all this sort of thing so that's that's I went there but like I didn't know a soul there None of my friends went there. All my friends went to the big, you know, state schools that and my older brother went to as well, like UT and Texas A&M. So I, yeah, I have no idea. It was, it, looking back, I'm like, can't believe I did that. That was weird. <laughs> but, but you are happy you did, you could say. I was, I mean, it's gone in waves. So now I, I mean, so I'm, I'm 37 now. I've, I mean, I have three kids uh, and I'm you know, married and all of that. So like at this stage of my life, I'm like, I have a lot of peace about everything and I, you know, fully believe every, you know, everything that happened was supposed to be. So I, yeah, there's a lot of intangible things. When I look back on that, I'm like incredible life lessons, all of that for a while when I was younger, it was frustrating. And, you know, maybe I felt a little bitterness or whatever, because none of those intangible life lessons end up on a resume. Sure. You know what I mean? Um, but they definitely shaped who I am. And, and so, yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm so glad I, I had this very weird, unique experience of like, a, uh, well, even back to high school, the, the stuff I did in high school and then, you know, in a theater department is not a normal college experience. Um, you know, I didn't get a degree in economics or anything like that. I got a degree in theater. So I have it's, it's, I, I mean, it's hard to put into words. It's a strange thing to major in. And there's so many things that you do in, you know, being a quote unquote, like classically trained actor that are not normal and not what, you know, especially being in the corporate world now, I'm like, uh, I don't know. I, I think at the end of the day, it's like, well, a lot of it is just sort of making peace with who you are and being confident in, in, in who you are. I mean, for that profession, for sure. But uh, that obviously translates into any profession, I think. Totally. And do you find, though, that 
the say the creative part of your mind from the theater track has helped you in the corporate world when it comes to problem solving or thinking about different tasks with perhaps a different lens like has it aided you has there been some crossover in in from then to to now yes for sure so creatively if you know i i think the things that translate into like a corporate setting are the you know the feeling unafraid to to make a bold choice creatively like it, it, in acting like that's that's a big part of it is like whatever you're gonna if you're doing a scene or whatever you better make an actual choice uh, and make it interesting otherwise it's uh you know it's it's not very good so on the on the other side of that coin is also not being afraid to fail and i i think that's really probably one of the biggest intangible lessons from you know my time pursuing this you know hypothetical career as an actor is like it's almost always failure like by default and i i think that's what people maybe on the outside like if you don't have you you're at you're in hollywood right you're at caa you're you have you're in the industry correct yeah I, I, that's where i came up that was my grad yeah school, i mean so like if you're if you're on the outside and all you know about it is from movies or whatever it's really hard to explain but like the default mode is that I'm not going to get this audition and I'm, you know, I'm not going to whatever, get this representation or whatever I want. But in the face of that consistent rejection, you have to project confidence and mm. self-assurance and all of that. And, you know, I, I, I'm way more philosophical now about like the corporate world and stuff like that, especially in Web3. But to me, it's like all it's all it's all a big confidence game. You know what I mean? Not not in the like con man side of things, but in the like, can you can you, you know, get people to believe what you're doing? Believe in do you believe in what you're doing? Um, and can you work together collaboratively? I think that's the other part is like art, especially theater and film, is in what incredibly collaborative. And so like that's that's the corporate world now like soft skills are to me if i were to tell my kids it's like well, i don't know what you need to major in or whatever but you need to be able to work well with others and you need to be able to communicate well um and you'll probably you know find a good job um so yeah it yeah. Did, did you know specifically playing specific parts and specific plays translate no of course not but like i i value all of those experiences for sure for sure and and okay so you're on the theater track you go to southern methodist where's the turning point from and maybe you mentioned it from moving out to la and and uh going that route where where does the shift come where you're like you know what maybe maybe my destiny lies elsewhere other than the stage like what's what's motivating yeah. the shift yeah, and so this is where my my lack of career trajectory will become uh, extremely clear. I I had no <laughs> no plan, and I and I think that's the that's if you're moving out to L.A. to try to be an actor, like if you're going in with a backup plan, everybody's gonna be like, well, you're not taking it seriously, right? And so it's all it's all like a war of attrition right how long you can stick it out and uh you know be quote unquote unknown how long can you do that and and practically how do you freaking survive like how long can you wait tables how long can you sure. pay the bills in whatever way and keep this passion for effectively working a second job um which again like i said is just rejection after rejection after rejection so yeah going in it's like I don't know. I'm going to drive my, my Texas pickup truck all the way out from Texas to LA and did the, you know, stayed in my friend's garage for six months. There's literally no, uh, there's no roadmap. So it's like, I'm applying to freaking, uh, I got rejected from, I was like, oh, I got to make money. Right. So 
I played it. I replied at Trader Joe's. I tell my wife all the time. <laughs> I didn't. I, they didn't hire me at Trader Joe's to to work there. And I was like, um, uh, but yeah. Eventually, the, the long story short is that was I don't know four or five years or something like that. And it's a slog. There's so much that happens. Um, the eventual pivot, I guess you could say, is, is going to sound, I guess romantic but it's it's true like i was i was basically looking for an excuse to be done with it and i met my now wife and she she didn't live in la she lived in texas so it was a very convenient excuse for me to you know effectively throw in the towel on that career and and i didn't want to be you know working for tips or whatever as a, a married man so uh i was like oh, i'll go do a quote-unquote real job somewhere so that that that's the short end of the story but um yeah not by design i didn't ha i was like oh, i don't know what i'm gonna do it it was very random this is where i'm telling you steven people are gonna listen to this and either be inspired or just be like really frustrated <laughs> <laughs> they're like yeah they're either like matt but the potential and and and, and the other people will be like well He's again pursuing his interests. Uh, one happened to be more vocational, the other uh, romantic. But That's true. but at the end of the day, I think the through line here is interests are being pursued, and really for for any fulfilling life, um, perhaps that's the ingredient is to uh, continually pursue things that you're interested in, and and inevitably the sandbox you're going to wake up in every day hopefully will continue to be interesting. Yeah. And I think that is like, I mean, to sort of unpack that those years that I was out there, like, first of all, going, going from being a theater actor to, which I did just because like academically I was interested in it, but in reality, like as a kid and whatnot, I was enamored with like Hollywood. Right. And the whole idea of, of, filmmaking and some of these classic films that I loved and you know I was sort of this little suburban indie film nerd or whatever but like the degree in theater when you move to Hollywood no one cares <laughs> no no one is like oh I see that you you know no one cares sure. one iota um and, and so that's that's a harsh lesson to learn and then the other one too is is just that you know, it, it is, uh, people say it all the time, but like who, you know, is a big deal. And, and so like, that's why it's a war of attrition. It may take years and years and years for you to develop that like Rolodex or whatever of people that you're, you know, your peers, you sort of come up together and eventually somebody gets a thing and starts hiring everybody else or whatever. But for me, it was, a sh it was the hard part very quickly was like, oh, I'm like way on, low on the totem pole. And so, yeah, I want to be in interesting films or whatever, but they're all telling me I need to go audition for whatever this under five spot on some CSI spinoff or whatever. And it's like, that's what actors are desperate for is to get that under five on CSI where they, you know, mumble something as a passerby in a crowd because it actually pays decently well. And, you know, I can stop valeting cars for a couple of weeks or whatever. But I was like, I do not care at all about that. And, and even the same thing with commercials. It's like, you need to be in commercials because you can make a lot of money from commercials. And probably, I probably did make more money from commercials than anything else. But like, no, I, I don't mean this in a negatively, but like that doesn't require any sort of acting skill whatsoever. That's just like, uh, I'm a human so, piece of yeah, meat and they yeah, move yeah. me around for 12 hours a day. Um Anyway, so that was really hard for me. And, and as far as the interests, at some point I was like, well, I'm more, you know, I heard some producer talk or whatever. And then I, I went and be, started interning at this production company and uh, reading scripts and like being on the other side of, of the industry. And that was very interesting. And sort of to connect the dots skill-wise, ironically, um, what I ended up doing as an intern at this production company was actually a lot of like very early live streaming stuff. This producer was sort of a tech nerd and was into, I mean, this is super early days of live streaming, like justin.tv stuff, 
Mm. And we, we interns, unpaid interns, you know, ran this live streaming show for him. And, and so, you know, got a little into that, you know, DSLR filmmaking stuff and went down that rabbit hole. And it sort of led into digital marketing was very, very early then. Um, and so by the time I left LA, I was at least able to say, you know, I had these what I didn't even know at that time, but were basically like marketing skills on the, on like the content creation and, uh, you know, sort of media side of things. And that was literally right when social media marketing was very nascent. And so I was happy to jump in and figure it out. And then jumping in, again, leads to that, that gear shift, uh, to potentially, uh, your current position and, and, you know, how did, how did that all come Well, about? it's, I mean, there's another really big leap between then and, and working at a blockchain company, which is probably just as, uh, unlikely, but, uh, yeah, so I, I get married and, uh, start on this, like, you know, I'm a self-taught digital marketer, which everybody was at, and everybody still is basically. But at that time, nobody knew anything about social media marketing. You just sort of did it and figured it out. And I was uh, newly married, got some, I was actually in the nonprofit space. Again, mm -hmm. not like by choice, just sort of happened. That they were willing to hire a, a former, you know, actor or whatever. And uh, I think the good thing about those jobs is that um, they did not pay well. So it wasn't that <laughs> it was that they, I, w I was sort of paid to learn and it was like, mm. okay, go, go do social media. We don't know what that is, but you know, it's very important for, uh, nonprofits to get their message out and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, just sort of played around with early Facebook and, you know, early Facebook ads, and then eventually got into more of the paid advertising. And, and that was where, I think that's when I was first like, well, what is, what did my acting career mean? Because this is such a different side of my brain than that uh, paid paid media stuff is like very quantitative and and it's all about, you know, mathematics and statistics and ROI and all this sort of stuff. So it was very strange, but at the same time, I was like, well, this that's always been a part of me and, and maybe that was a part that was sort of struggled when I was an actor you know what I mean that I I spent no time uh with on that side of my brain so that season of life was interesting that it was uh it was coming to terms with not being an actor and in a lot of ways feeling like a failed actor mm. to trying to have a some sort of a career as you know a husband and and then eventually having you know kids and stuff like that um but again i had no grand plan <laughs> whatsoever <laughs> so uh but yeah that that was that's how i be got into marketing i guess gotcha and and again i, I think though not to underscore it here but pursuing interests leading you to the different sort of benchmarks along your trajectory I think is illustrating that even without a plan, if the plan is to pursue what you're interested in, be that a an occupation or a love interest or or what have you, it's still going to push you forward in the direction of something that and in that moment you're interested in, and then you know from where your journey goes from there. So long as something is captivating your interest at some level, I think you know, not to get yeah. crazy spiritual here, the universe takes care of the rest. You know, you take the step in the direction and then another energy meets you halfway. Yeah, no, uh, I mean, 100%, like from where I am now, and again, this, I mean, this is actually like fairly recent in the last couple of years where I've really sort of come around to be very content with, with how it all happened. Uh, but I mean, there are times when I was like, what in the world did I do with my life? And and you got to think about too, it's, you know, I was a former good student or whatever in high school. So all of my other good student friends, they're, they're like uh, getting out of med school. You right. know what I mean? They're, they're, be, they're going, they're passing the bar. And I'm like, I don't have a very good job 
at all. And I don't have anything on my resume that would, you know, qualify me for a good job. So there, there are times for sure that were, you know, mentally, uh, psychologically tough, but now a hundred percent, I'm like, everything that has happened was supposed to be. And it's sort of humbling to think about how it, it all went down. Um, but that's because I'm very happy where there I'm at now. Sure. I, I, of course. <laughs> sure. And, and, and so, okay. So, so get into marketing. What's then the next sort of pivot when, uh, web three crypto space is introduced? How, how did you find it? Yeah. How did it, so how did it come about? it's actually before that it, it's, uh, I mean, we can go, we can go as deep as you want here, but it's actually pretty right before that was some pretty dark times in my life. And this was, I mean, it was, I think it was a dark time for everybody, but 2020, the pandemic and all of that, I had actually uh, started work. I was out of the nonprofit space. I was working at a video game studio and I was like, oh, this is a freaking dream job. This is in my little small town in Texas. It's like a tech company that has no business being here. It's you know heavily venture funded and all of that. I walk to work and it's like, you know, I had visited Facebook headquarters and stuff like that in past relationships in the nonprofit world. And it's like, you know, so I was sort of enamored with the idea of the tech industry, but was very far from it being in the nonprofit space. Start working at the video game studio and it's like, oh, this is sort of it. And I can't even believe it's in my little neighborhood because I had resigned myself. I've said this to a lot of people. When I left LA, I was like, uh, I'm never going to have an interesting life. <laughs> That's what I sort of <laughs> felt. Uh, you know, moving to basically suburbia. Um, but then I get that job and it's like, wow, this is the dream job and it play, pays really well and it's in a really cool space. Right before the pandemic, like literally the week before that studio out of the blue, and it was not a small studio. I mean, there are hundred-ish, hundred or more people that work there. Everyone got laid off. Ooh. The, whole, the whole studio basically had to restructure and completely out of the blue, everybody was laid off. And no lie, it was literally like the next week when, uh, I'll never forget, it was the night when everybody found out that Tom Hanks had COVID yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that the NBA was being uh, postponed. And it, and it, you know, and I'm like jobless and I've got, I had one child at that time. And then it's like everybody's staying in their house and I'm working my house. I never was going to work from home. This this was not what my office looked like. I was at a freaking card table in the like one little guest room. It was very depressing. Um, and then eventually uh, I didn't want to move. You know, they're helping place people in some of the bigger uh, game studios, a lot of which are in California. And I was like, I'm not going to, I don't want to move. And in the game gaming world, like, it's few and far between the positions that are non, you know, designer, artist, or developer. You know, the the business side of the gaming studios is usually pretty small. So, uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I'm just gonna work for myself and started doing some consulting, whatever I could find. Again, this is, I guess, the comfortability with like make it up as I go along and not being afraid to fail. And and yeah, did that for. I don't know, uh, a year and a half or so. And so how this gets into Web3 is uh, is basically that I had enough time to, to, to waste time on the internet. Uh, I, and I was my own boss. And uh, again, following stuff that I was interested in, um, the, you know, at some point I, I did the whole Web3 rabbit hole experience, which I mean, yeah, I'll, I'll be super transparent here just because I'm always, if people are listening, like I was like super depressed, clinically depressed. And for the first time in my life, I was like, oh, I need to get, uh, you know, go to therapy or whatever. So I was doing that. And um, it was on my birthday and my therapist had been telling me about like, I need to be better at self-care or whatever. Cause I was like, I don't, he was like, what do you do for yourself? I'm like, I don't know. I don't watch Netflix or whatever. Um, and so it was on my birthday. I work for myself. I'm sitting there at my desk, staring at my computer or whatever I did. And I was like, you know what? 
I saw this Twitter message from somebody that I, I had no idea who this was. And they it was this weird crypto thing. I'd never set up a wallet. I'd never done anything. I probably maybe had a Coinbase account uh, at some point. But it was this very weird, almost shady sounding thing that described how to set up MetaMask, how to go to Uniswap, and how to buy, you know, you got to get some ETH and transfer it over and buy this coin. And I, I did it. And it's, you know, I don't remember what it cost. It wasn't nothing. It was like, 800 bucks or something like that and i just did it on a whim and it was uh friends with benefits which uh if you're familiar with now is is like a a fairly well-known dow but at that time it it had had just started was like barely started and the guy who's posted i was looking at was somebody named trevor mcfedries who started it he um he started this company called brud i mean trevor it's the reason FWB is interesting is because it's Trevor's friends with benefits and Trevor has very <laughs> interesting friends. So, uh, but again, this was like, I didn't know a soul, didn't know any of these people. Um, and at that time, you know, you didn't have to apply to be an FWB. You just have to be weird enough to, to buy, buy this FWB coin and, you know, uh, a semi-meaningful amount of it. And then all of a sudden, I'm in this Discord with very interesting people, and it's crypto, but in a way that I had never thought about crypto, because I think like a lot of people, it was always crypto bros, and it's all about gains and, and all of that. And, and this was like, not too far before that was the whole... Uh, GameStop and yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. all of that stuff on Robinhood. And so I was like... That's sort of what I thought of crypto. It's just like a bunch of, uh, you know, day traders or whatever. But that's not what FWB was. FWB was artists. FWB was, uh, you know, entrepreneur entrepreneurs, but like really interesting ones. And then there, FWB sort of hit like escape velocity, and then very quickly, uh, you know, got an investment from Andreessen Horowitz and like became a like a big deal. And it was like. I cannot believe that's happening. Like I, I remember trying to describe this. Nobody around me in my town like even understands what I'm talking about. And I'm like, my Twitter following of all the interesting, like you know, you know, founders and venture capitalists and all of that are in the freaking intro channel now in this Discord. And I'm like, I can't believe these are the people. Uh, like Chris Dixon was in our Discord and, and stuff like that. And so it was such a surreal thing, but also like so exciting and, and not even because it, it was, it was, a, it was a weird, it was like very meaningful in, in, a, in like a, a very real sense because I, you know, like I said, I had sort of resigned myself to having an interesting life in, in sort of a very blunt way to put it. I live in freaking suburban Texas. Uh, nobody here even knows that I used to be this, you know, struggling artist or whatever. All of that side of me was very uh, unfulfilled. And then all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I'm in the middle of what felt like cutting edge stuff from, from my house in suburbia. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was complete luck. And, uh, you know, I, in the grand scheme of things, if, if you know anything about FWB, I was, you know, season one or whatever, pre-season one, it's FWB actually got hacked early on. So it was like pre-hack. Um, and then all these people just getting to know them in a very organic way. And then eventually, like, again, this seemed crazy at the time, like flying out to, I think it was the a Bitcoin Miami a couple of years ago was the first like in real life meetup of friends with benefits people. Like I didn't even know what these people looked like. You know what I mean? Wow. And flying out there and, and meeting them and yeah, one thing led to another. And literally the way I got this job at Polygon was from the friends with benefits uh classifieds channel. And I was I was working for myself still, and so I, a couple of times people needed marketing, marketing consulting, or whatever. You know, I would I would sort of peruse that classifieds channel, and then I, I took a meeting. And I didn't even know it was Polygon, and then I got on the call, 
and it was Polygon. And I was like, oh, I, you know, I had heard of Polygon. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, it was still, you know, store sort of big, definitely an underdog back then, I think still, but like the Matic token price had, had 10,000 X or something crazy. Like everything was doing in that year. Um, and anyway, yeah, it was very quick and like this is not the way things are now just to be very clear to anybody listening but at that time it was basically oh you're an fwb you know uh this person that's also works at polygon who's also an fwb you're hired let's go and wow that's that's how it started and and was that because the fwb community was it was more of like the vouch system of oh you know hey we're both in this thing we're we're vetted to be in this thing and oh so i was not vetted to be an fw that's what i'm saying i well, right, i've, right. Uh, I've uh, told I, this to like my boss now i'm like i feel like i snuck in um because <laughs> because very soon after fwb got all the funding and whatever it became an application system and and it was a big deal because it was like very cost prohibitive the amount of you know because the token price was so high at that time how much it cost and it became sort of a like a you know, have and have not thing and being on the inside was you're whatever, you're part of this web three leisure class or something that somehow has enough money to to do that. But no, it, it was less I think it was more about like got on the meeting and they were looking for a marketing lead. Um and it was for a brand new brand that they were and they just sort of laid this out to me on the call. For uh for Polygon Studios, which was again at that time, just to be very clear to everybody listening, was it was very different than it is now. But um, it was mainly for NFT and gaming and the gaming market, and it was a part of this uh, what we now call the Polygon uh, Venture Fund. But they were about to do an announcement that they've got this hundred million dollar fund and this new brand, and it's all about NFT and gaming. And and so I was like, you know, I had the background in gaming. And I think it was a very quick, like, uh, oh, he gets it. Uh, all right, hire him. And and that was also like at that time, you talk about working for a startup is one thing. Working for a Web3 startup that was in this like escape velocity that, that Polygon was in, we hired quickly uh, during that stage. Again, sure. to be clear, it's not like that anymore. Sure. Uh, I'm sorry to say, but... Uh, yeah, so I uh, it was luck, man. That that's how I ended up in in the Web three space. I feel like, wow. And just to back it up, what a what an awesome sort of path to go from seeing that what you assumed was like a spam uh, message in your Twitter to to having that be in large part the the key to unlocking this new well direction. and like i don't i mean it seems crazy now but i you know i took that call and i thought it was for like a, a consultant thing or like a contractor and it was like no they're looking for somebody full-time and you know i had i had been you know investing all this time and energy into building my own little consultancy agency thing it and like key on little it was me and one other person <laughs> um and uh and i was like i don't know if i you know they offered me the job and i was like oh, i don't know if i should do this uh which seems crazy now but i remember being like i wasn't even looking for a job and uh you know but uh to i will pat myself on the back to this credit i was like this feels like maybe it's what it would have been like to be like super super early at you know one of the big web two tech startups. And so I was like, well, let's, I'm going to go ahead and do it. And worst that comes to worst, I can go do my own thing again or whatever. So right, that's how it happened. And once you got in, did you start to feel, was it just continually validating that decision that, oh, hey, wait, we are on the front lines of something. Something is being built here that's that's super progressive and and is you know, going to play a role, not just today, tomorrow, but hopefully years from now. Yeah. It, it, but I will say, I don't even think I fully comprehended it in, in the beginning, but yeah, immediately I was like, holy cow, this is the most fascinating, like front row seat to this thing 
that I ever could have imagined. And, and, and that's all like, like obviously polygons, uh, the last year and a half has been insane. The, the amount of like stuff we've done and, and, and it's sort of the position within the broader industry, but like right when I first started, you know, I went from doing like whatever local consulting work and whatnot. I remember that my first day was, um, I just, I sit down to work and, and I was one of the first, if not, I don't know, the first Americans, but most of the people were in India or on the Eastern hemisphere. And they were like, first day, like, oh, by the way, we've got a Twitter spaces. Uh, you need to log in like right now. It was like, oh, okay. Like I didn't even have the <laughs> password yet. And it was with the Dolce & Gabbana Twitter handle, uh, like the official, the first Twitter space they'd ever done or whatever. And I had to host it. And I was like, holy cow. I like going <laughs> back home, you know, walking in from lunch or whatever, working from home. After, it was like, mom, this is a different thing <laughs> happening here. And it was sure. like a succession of stuff like that just for months and months and months. I could never, and even to this day, like it, it hasn't let up. It's, it's been wild. And I think about it all the time. I'm like, I cannot believe I sit here in McKinney, Texas, and I get to be on the front lines of of this space and working with all these brand like legendary brands that I've, you know, are household names and all the like up and coming brilliant, you know, startup entrepreneurs that we get to work with. Really fascinating. And in terms of the startup entrepreneurs and, and perhaps more artists and stuff like that, what, what kind of direction, uh, either you specifically or, or Polygon as a whole, what, like what's the trajectory in terms of, uh, if you could speak to it, NFTs and artists and, and you know, you mentioned previously Polygon Studios and you mentioned too that that's shifted in some ways. What's the kind of 5,000 foot view directive for how all of those things are moving forward? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'll start with like my personal viewpoint on it and then maybe give just sort of like a high level of uh, un unofficial sure, viewpoint sure. from Polygon's perspective. But I, I mean, for me, like the the thing, like right when I first started, again, that was twenty the 2021 bull run. It was a unique time to be onboarded because you could you could mint anything and it would moon. And, and, uh, and so it was like the energy was crazy because everything was just happening so fast and it's like every day no matter what you did you looked at your wallet and the, <laughs> your balance is going up and uh and oh man because like at that time I, I actually in the early days i was one i was a contributor at fwb so i was um and this was so long ago uh i mean people are probably in fwb that don't even realize this but they paid in fwb in the token um and so I was on the um, editorial team doing some writing and whatnot so for like a email newsletter kind of thing. And one of the months we had like an allotment of tokens and you would get airdropped based on these different factors. And one of the months is when the token price skyrocketed because Andreessen Horowitz invested. And I remember I... Uh, you know, it wasn't a meaningful amount of work. It was uh, a couple of hours, if that. And the value of the tokens that I got was like, it was like $10,000 worth of FWB tokens because of how the price had skyrocketed. And, and it's, we, the, we quickly changed that. Obviously, we know we, we pay in like USDC. Uh, but um, yeah, that was the time. So everything was crazy. I was doing a lot of experiments personally too. It was very fulfilling because I was like, I don't know, I'm just going to try this thing, try this thing. And while I was even in the early days at Polygon, I was trying some stuff. So like I had a, a producer friend um, who had an indie film that was already financed. They were going to shoot. And I was like, hey, I had this idea and been reading about, um, you know, fractionalized. This was when Party Bid, I don't know if you've ever done Party Bid, but I'd done some of these, uh, you know, little experiments where, um, like a whole bunch of people would party bid on a, a crypto punk. And so I had a tiny fraction of a, a crypto punk and there was a token. And so it was this fractionalized asset. And I was like, well, what if we, if I could raise, you know, how, how much money would I need to be considered an executive producer or financer on, on like for finishing funds or whatever for that film? 
And uh, if I got a bunch of people together and fractionalized that EP credit, would you let me do that? And she was like, yeah. So I did, um, I did that as an early experiment on Mirror, which, uh, which now they've changed. They don't have those features anymore, but they used to have like crowdfunding features. Um, and, and so that it was like just trying everything. And it was, again, this is like not afraid to fail. Um, ultimately that one did fail. I mean, I raised a, I don't remember how much we raised 20,000, 30,000, something like that. Um, but ultimately didn't get to where it needed to be or whatever. And so just, uh, I had to pay the gas fees. That's all. But I, I sent all the money back, um, in exchange for the tokens that people were going to get, but that I had a, uh, a filmmaking DAO that I was trying to get off the ground that ultimately is now defunct, but it was, um, I mean, it was in the right direction, I sure. think, but da DAOs are not easy. If anybody thinks DAOs are easy, they're definitely not. Um, but you know, we, we minted, raised some money for a treasury or whatever, but it ultimately fizzled. There's just too many different directions of where people wanted to go, but that was if I would it was sort of in the vein of like I don't know who you're going to interview on here, but um, you know, there's is Blockbuster DAO still a thing? I'm not. I'm not sure. Um, there, there's a couple of different ones. Uh, Adam Adim, those guys. Like, I I think a couple of these now are sort of like the better versions of what what, what I was imagining, what we were imagining with that. But again, that went that went defunct. So I was doing all of this like in the crazy 2021 run up um and then and then yeah ultimately that's where i see it going is and this is why i think gaming is really interesting as well it's it's like a new medium you know um as much as i love movies and film it's hard not to think that filmmaking and like cinema is is actually becoming sort of uh you know archaic in a way and and at some point in the grand scheme of things going to the cinema as much as i love it will probably be fairly analogous to me going to the theater which is mm. is sort of like a novelty you know um and, and i think that goes all the way back to the beginning of storytelling is like these different mediums theater history was you know it's just an evolution from like telling stories around uh the fireside and and you know tribal hunter gatherer things and it becomes a meaningful part of greek culture and they develop a stage and that's like an actual technological innovation a stage right and then you've got different versions of that and you you can still go watch a play in an amphitheater you can still go watch a play at the old globe in in london where the you know there's no roof and that's how they let the light in um, for all those Shakespeare plays that, that perform there, but it's a novelty. And so the evolution from there was um, obviously filmmaking, which was a gigantic technical evolution and, and the whole, you know, the camera technology and all of that. But now it's like, well, how how much farther is that going to go? Like the special effects, uh, you know, are already there. Um, as a medium, it feels like it's at its at its pinnacle. Um, we flirted with 3D for a while or whatever. Um, so I don't think it's ever going to go away. But I think it's just going to become more and more of a novelty. The whole like big screen experience, because ultimately, like a play does not scale you've got to be, it's very, you know, that's why I say it's a novelty. Not that many people actually go to the theater. You can't even fit that many people in there. It's not practical. They're live. Movies scale a little bit more. There's their bigger seating. It's, you know, it's a canned thing. So you can air it over and over. But I think gaming, you're moving into this live services kind of thing. And it's already been that way for a while. And that's why I was really interested working at that game studio. But with blockchain, it becomes less passive and more interactive and more meaningful in people's lives. And this quickly you go down the rabbit hole towards, you know, ideas like the metaverse and stuff like that. So to me, it's exciting, but I I'm also sort of philosophically, I don't think I'm not like holding my breath for Martin Scorsese to enter <laughs> the metaverse. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, just like, I'm not, I'm not holding 
my breath i wouldn't have held my breath for some famous theater director to to make a movie they're they're different mediums um so to me it's like well who's who's going to innovate and who's going to be the new version uh take stuff from this previous medium into this new medium and innovate so like that's why that's why um you know some of these artists and and uh, actors were a big deal in their time uh like marlon brando it's because marlon brando like everybody back then acted in movies the way you acted on stage and he did not he he did it completely differently and it was like a revolution in in film acting um and now it's it's the precedent that's that's how everybody acts in on on camera but I, that's why, that's in a, in a nutshell, like, you know, we have a lot of interesting projects at Polygon. And again, I'm very fortunate to work with all these, like literally everybody everywhere is exploring the space. But if I had to hedge my bets personally, it's going to be from an unexpected place that the next big thing um, sort of comes from and the next big trend. That, and to be honest, that's why FWB is pretty interesting. It's very young and uh, and I feel like it's from that sort of realm where it's going to come, not uh, necessarily the big studios or the big sure. agencies or whatever. Sure. Well, and, and one has to think too, that uh, with the traditional way things have gone, you know, with big studios, with the, the other larger infrastructure uh, that currently exists, profit is certainly, you know, a driving force. Uh, and so, not that that's not a factor in Web3, but there seems to be a greater concentration of like-minded, smart, creative minds coming together to break ground being the full, you know, the driving force with the understanding that if ground is broken, profits will be had rather than, you know, the reverse of that. Yeah, and because I, I think uh, sort of in tandem to these technological innovations is usually economic innovations. So, like again, that's the history of like the nerdy Hollywood stuff. Is back in the day when the when actors were under contract with a studio and they had like a stable of actors, they were not independent. They couldn't make choices. They had to do what the studios told them to do. Well, you know, whenever the golden age of cinema happened, like all and all of that completely shifted. And now it's it's the opposite. Like big actors are the ones with all the leverage. Um, and back in the day, Brad Pitt would have been under contract to a studio and would have wouldn't get to select his own projects. So I think, and people, I'm not in the you know entertainment industry straight up anymore, but from the friends that are still in it, like the latest, the the irony of the latest sort of evolution of of Hollywood into streaming into basically like the 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 power brokers being actually the big tech companies. Um, I think actors and creatives and the IP creators, the writers are feeling a little bit disenfranchised again in feeling like they're just serving uh, this behemoth that's algorithmically run and all that sort of stuff. And, and it, but it's hard at the same time because the big tech companies have so much money and I'm, if you read between, I'm referring to Netflix, which I love, Netflix, <laughs> but uh, have so much money that they can just cut gigantic checks to the, to the biggest creators. But in, and if you're an agency guy, you'll understand this, obviously, like they're, they're buyout agreements, which is very different as far as like incentive alignments to um, like the, the big one is what was the, the Netflix show um, that was from the Korean guy. It was really weird. It was the violent. It was the violent one. It was in Korean, and and it was like one of the biggest things that everybody's probably like screaming it into their headphones right now. But uh, anyways, that was a huge hit for Netflix. Did that filmmaker see any of that? No. Can Netflix quantify the impact of those numbers on their bottom line? Yes. And so it's like very different from the old school like box office stuff where an actor could get back in, even though you had Hollywood accounting and all that sort of thing. Now though. When you're talking about creatives coming together, that's the thing with the advance and like the economics of what, what you're dealing with is it's completely different. It's completely democratized. 
if you, you if you you know weld these tools the way they they can be wielded uh and so that's what's fascinating about this sort of the new stuff that's treading ground and i think that's another reason why i think it'll be from somewhere new that really cuts through this is because the old uh studios and power brokers are going to try to squeeze it into their pre-existing light structures and right. hierarchies and stuff and that's that's not how it works like this is this is bottoms up this is the people can actually have ownership of the best way i've heard ethereum like the actual asset it's for the first time in history you could actually own a piece of culture like like an actual asset that is a part of all culture which i was like i think chris dixon said that in some interview but i was like man that's so fascinating because in the past it's like the different ways so theater for example how do you fund theater theater doesn't make money you know theater is funded by nonprofits you have these patrons of the arts and then the tickets are incredibly expensive to go see it and it breaks even right and if you're lucky as an actor you're unionized or whatever but even like the most successful theater actors do not make that much money um like that is it's completely different now with you you could tokenize something and it's all about building community it's all about building the appropriate you know incentive structures i love this term that somebody in my team was talking about today uh the idea of like regenerative finance um and it's and all of these things are that's that's where i'm like i'm glad in a way i I do get to use the other side of my brain too, because it's literally it's economics. It's like macroeconomic stuff. That's the part of the FWB Discord that I'm I, I lurk in most of the time. Is all these dudes that are are actually experts on on macroeconomics and 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 tokenomics and all that sort of stuff. It's really fascinating and it's really powerful. And to me, it's the new sort of version of the algorithm, if mm. you will. Like the algorithm has all the power now. Um, in the in the next sort of era it's the the tokenomics um yeah so that's all me that's none of that is a polygon's position on anything <laughs> just just so we're clear for anyone listening uh yeah. and also i think just to get back it, it popped in i think were you referring to squid games as the uh squid game yep yeah yep, yep, yep. all right cool cool uh well yeah fa fascinating look at you know the future of art and and how it's created and do you think you know you mentioned community as the driving force behind what's created is is it one of those things where you think when community is cultivated around a particular uh piece that whether that's say film tv photography that now instead of having say you know, a, a social media following the new way in which the older powers that be traditional powers that be studios, et cetera, would take notice is, Oh, Hey, creator X has this huge community around their art in the web three space. We should potentially reach out and try to figure out how to do something. So no, I, I still think that would be like web two stuff. That's like influencers, and um and that sort of thing which is very much to me uh pre web 3 i i think the and i think in 2021 that a lot of that's a lot of what was was happening it was like an arms race of the influential people and brands from web 2 trying to cash in and and i think people realized that really quickly and it's like wait a second i don't need an nft of this doesn't exist but of you know leonardo dicaprio's face that he's <laughs> making money on right. um it doesn't mean anything and even but but i think during that time a lot of people were realizing wait a second if all i gotta do is mint something and people will buy it and it's this new revenue stream um i think we needed uh, a little bit of a bear market or a, a cleanse if you will of of a lot of that activity to get back to like what is the point of all of this and I think less than it being, oh, you've got to have an influential, you've got to be an influential person. It's, I think it's about who can cast the, the best vision around like, this is a meaningful thing. Mm -hmm. And so whatever 
if you're a creator and it's like a creative project, to me, it's closer to like sparking a movement than it is a, a business operation. Like, like especially filmmaking, it's every film is like its own little small business, right? You got to mm. raise money for it. You got to satisfy the investors, et cetera, et cetera. And hopefully you make a profit on it. But to me, this is more about like people who want to create something, create IP, uh, create characters, worlds, whatever. But the way to get people involved in it and the way to get money to, to fund it is to have people like truly believe in it um, to whatever, you know, whatever definition of that you want to pursue. Um, and so to me, it's like, back to like the liberal arts days that's what's exciting you know this is what's this is like if i were to think about as a theater nerd it's like some of the you know heroes you have in the american theater is like steppenwolf steppenwolf was a theater company in the 70s in chicago that just like scrapped it together and and out of steppenwolf you have a lot of very very famous people now like uh john malkovich um and they're like legendary in the theater space, but they didn't, it wasn't because they were funded by investors and whatnot. It was because they're so true to the work and all this sort of stuff. Um, so I, I think when I think about it, it's like, this is what Steppenwolf, a young, you know, scrappy crew of theater kids would be doing now. They'd be tokenizing a community and it'd all be about community building. I think it was funny too, because my sister-in-law is, uh, is, like I think she has a degree in community organizing, right? And is very political and um, is very motivated by like community and all of this sort of stuff. And I was trying to explain to her because I was like, this isn't crypto bros. I was like, trust me, this is like right up your alley. This is like organizing people around causes yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, that that's where I think the I think that's where we are now. I think that's one of the best use cases of the of the technology right now. Is is organizing people around causes. Causes, meaning, um, you know, there's a famous uh thing called the what is it called? Maslow's no no. The it's this uh Bain consulting, which is whatever, but there's a, a pyramid of meaning for like brand marketing. And at the very, very top is uh, transcendence, right? And so if you could, if your brand, right, can make somebody feel transcendence, that's like the ultimate thing. There's literally no dollar amount you can put on that or whatever. I, I do think that pyramid is, is interesting to look at for tokenized communities because at the end of the day, if you're obsessed with your P&Ls and all this sort of stuff, like I think that comes through in the community. But if it's more like, and I think FWB is a good example of this. It's still like, this is all like an experiment. It all may go to zero. You know what I mean? But, it, but like, we're going to try to make it the most meaningful thing it can be while we're doing it, right? Um, and I don't think anybody, at this stage at least, is still holding FWB because they think it's going to make money. And, uh, you know, maybe in 2021, a lot of people were doing that. But now it's like, if you're holding it, it's because it means something. And and to that end, when you say cleanse of of the market and everything like that, and cleanse of the landscape, it's it's you know what you're saying now is is people who are part of these communities. The hope is that they're part of these communities because they believe in them, not because of some intrinsic you know short term gain, but rather, hey, we believe in the mission. We believe in what the what the work of this community is capable of, and and are excited to see what that looks like in the future. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, last year or 2021, it was, uh, I mean, no offense to anybody, but it, it didn't take a rocket scientist to be an NFT flipper. Right. Um, if you were, if you got in on a mint, you would sell it for a profit. And it was just about like being obsessed with getting, you know, in at mint. Um, but no, now it's, uh, I, I think that is the good thing by the cleanse. It's like, okay, well, this isn't all just about speculative finance. No offense to day traders and all that sort of thing. Um, but if you're somehow successfully day trading crypto right now or you know flipping NFTs, then you are a genius. But um, no, I think back to the technology itself, um, which 
which is unique because part of it is financial. But at the end of the day, it's it's more than financial. And I and I think that's what we needed to to reorient around. Um and yeah, I I like from my perspective at Polygon, I will say this, like it has not gotten less interesting with the markets going down. If anything, it's gotten more interesting as far as what people are building and and why they're building it and, and all of that sort of thing. So um yeah, I'm excited about it. Awesome. Well, Chad, excited to you know, as the months uh, and years uh, continue on, excited to see what you and and, and Polygon are, are chefing up, and and certainly the landscape as a whole uh, of Web three, and you know, seeing hopefully the execution of the vision that hey, people are uh, part of these communities and part of these projects to further the common good, the common goals of uh, you know transcendence, as you say. Awesome. Cool. Cool. Thanks for the chat, man. It was good. I hope that somebody finds some value from there and it's not just like that's the luckiest guy in the world. <laughs> I think there there definitely are uh, a multitude of nuggets from people to pull from and uh, <laughs> thanks to you for, for coming aboard. Yeah, absolutely, man. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights, Camera, Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Bogart and Decentral Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Imes. If you enjoyed this experience, be sure to rate and subscribe to our show and to follow at Sladen and at Decentral Media for additional content.